All right, uh, Colossians, please. Colossians, towards the back of the the back of the scripture. Um, you go through the the epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, we'll be in Colossians chapter four. Hopefully, finishing the book today. And we're yes, my, we are going to go so loud that Greg hears it from Colorado. Because uh, he always makes fun of me for not liking the clap. Um, we're going to go very loud. So we're going to finish Colossians today. We'll be in chapter 4. Hopefully you're there. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. And we come to a passage um, like today and where there's just so much personal interaction between disciples and followers of, of you so long ago. And here we have your word of stead, uh, stood the test of time. And we are encouraged by the way they encouraged one another. And Lord, we want to be encouragers in the same way. And so Lord, use today to grow us, to encourage us, and, uh, and that we might go kind of really knowing that we are invited to participate into your kingdom. And so please, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be with us uh, illuminating our hearts and minds. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so hopefully you're there in Colossians chapter 4. I love that I don't have to do the full recap. You know, usually when I teach, it's been like months, and you're like, what was he talking about last time? And then, but it was only a couple weeks ago, so you guys should all know. Uh, right? Yeah? Yeah, I don't have to do, okay, I'm going to do a little bit, okay? The, the, the letter Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes to this little church in the Lycus Valley. No one knows where that is, if I say that, but kind of Turkey area, okay, today. And, um, and he writes to this little tiny church down the Lycus River in the valley, and he's writing from a place in Rome, either on house arrest or in prison, all right, and that's about 1,300 miles away. By, by foot, okay? And so Paul's writing them because like a lot of churches in that time, the, the gospel has come in and a church has been planted, but then people with nefarious intent um, have come in and tried to morph the gospel or kind of make it more, uh, more related to keeping the law of the Jews or, or making it more Gnostic, more spiritual, more... You have to know the secret stuff. And only some people know the secret stuff. And so if you're elite, you can know this. If you're not elite, oh, too bad for you. And Paul's like, no, I'm not interested in that. That's not the gospel. The gospel comes to all people in all places and is for everyone. And he wants to make sure that they're, they're, they're founded, they're, they're sound in the gospel. And so he writes this letter for that sake. And it's about Jesus Christ being supreme over all other things, okay? You'll see it in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, when he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, okay? God, God to everyone is, 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 is huge, and he's saying Jesus is the image of that invisible God. Verse 17, Jesus is before all things. That's like a, like a place of... of uh, of authority or a place of um, a position. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
Going into chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells, and that we are complete in him. And chapter 3, verse 11. This is really the, this, the, if you need just a couple words to know what Colossians is about, this is it. But Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And so this is what the letter is about. Jesus being above everything else. It's hard to find, usually when you read in a, uh, one of these little letters, you can tell what the author wants to get across if you kind of search for it. He, he usually says something of, uh, this, is what, this is why I wrote this letter. I think, my guess is it's in chapter 2, actually, verses 1 to 3. So look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 real quick. He says, for I, for, this is Paul saying, for I want you to know, we should pay attention, this is what he wants us to know. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Remember, the you is the Colossian church. For you and for those at Laodicea, a neighboring little town, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Why do I struggle? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I would say that's his summary statement. This is why he wrote the letter, that those people might have the encouragement in that capacity. How does he do that? So everything before he says that and after he says that are to support that. Okay, that's, that's what he's trying to do with the whole letter. And so what does he do elsewhere in the letter? Well, he refutes the false teaching. We've talked a lot about that the Gnostic type of teaching that was spreading. He, he has addressed those arguments head on, and, and, he's, and he's said, nope, Jesus Christ is com completely, completely sufficient for you to know who God is and to be in relationship with him. Not the law, not, uh, not, not, not things of aestheticism, like beating yourself or, 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 or not eating certain foods or doing certain holidays or nothing. It's just Christ. He's also reminded them about good doctrine. So the, a good teacher doesn't just say what you shouldn't believe. He says what you should believe too. And he, he's given them good doctrine about, man, here's what it means to be in the heavenlies. And he's, uh, and he's helped them. I like this. He's helped them to locate where those springs of power are in the Christian walk. Where are the springs of power? And he's helped them to find that. And then he, the last thing he's done in this letter is he's called them to live in light of the new birth. And we talked a lot about that a couple weeks ago. That he's, he, he, he kind of had them up in the heavenlies gazing at the glory of God and, 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 and what the mystery of Christ is, that we have relationship with Christ and God. And he's kind of brought them down to street level. And okay, here's what it looks like to live it out. And he's talked about that. So the body, the full body of the letter is complete as we come to this passage. And it's in his final greetings that he kind of widens their view. He's kind of been talking to them about them. And he's going to kind of open up their view and see this gospel is doing this same work all throughout the empire, all throughout the world. And he wants to widen their view to the worldwide activity of God. So he starts a very personal way. When he's talking about the church and praying for them, Epaphras, and he's going to end in a very personal way. So let's start in verse 
2 of chapter 4. Verse 2 of chapter 4. This is, maybe, you're, maybe you have a heading there about final instructions. There's a couple verses here that are kind of wrapping up what he said. Um, and he says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. And this, so this guy, Alexander McLaren, maybe, maybe you guys have uh, heard about him, read him. He says on these, this, these four verses here, there's these two extremes of life. The first is a reference to the hidden life of prayer, and the second to the outward, busy life of the marketplace and street. Continued prayer is to be, is to have unwearied, is to, uh, continued prayer in that hidden life is to beget or begot unwearied action. So the hidden life of prayer and the outward, busy life. And it, there's this contrast. And he starts with, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's not that hard to understand what he's saying here. <laughs> I don't have to go in a lot of it. But a devotion, an earnest obedience, a persistent fervor. It reminds us of that Luke 18 passage that maybe some of you know. And this is Jesus telling him a parable. And i got to turn there because I'm not going to be able to read that tiny screen up there. So give me one second. You guys can read it because you guys are nice and young and got great eyeballs. All right. Jesus telling them a parable. What's, what's the parable? It says it right there. To the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow. So that's not a good person, by the way. Okay, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Women, that's not a thing against you, okay? Relax. All right. It's a thing for the persistence. It's good. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? These were, you know, Paul takes that and just puts it in this short little sentence continue steadfastly in prayer, but he has that, that point about God in mind when he says that, that he's, he's listening, and he's, and he's okay with a continual coming, especially when you don't feel like you're hearing from him. So he's telling the Colossian church, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. Now that's not, that's not like, I wouldn't say that's like on the guard tower, like looking out, making sure nothing's coming against. It's more about like staying awake. 
okay? Keeping awake, a constant spiritual awareness. What are the needs around me? What are my needs? What are the needs of the church? What are the needs of my community? A constant awareness that's always there. That's what it means to kind of be watchful. Not careless or mechanical, not dull or, or sleepy or heavy. And of course, we're reminded of the disciples falling asleep in the garden um, uh, while Jesus was in the garden um, with his father. So continue steadfastly, being watchful. And he's already talked about this, that it's, it's kind of all within this idea of thanksgiving. Then he goes on, he says, at the same time, pray also for us. So he's, he's saying, you guys need to pray. And, and while you're doing it, pray for us as well. I love this about Paul because here he is, a guy that we kind of look up as a guy that's like kind of above everyone else as a, as a follower of Christ. It's like Paul and then everyone else. All right. But Paul is needy for the prayers of the, of the other followers of Christ. If Paul can be needy for, for prayers, I feel invited to be needy for prayers as well. And so it invites me to ask for prayer more often when I think, man, this guy was loved when people prayed for him, asked for it in a very humble way. It's a sign of maturity. I think it's a sign that he was living in biblical reality, that we need prayer, and prayer does something. And so I love that. But what I also love about this ask of Paul is here he is in prison, a prisoner that's not praying for a door of exit from prison, but praying for a door for the entrance of the message. What does he ask for? Pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am, I'm here for that mystery, but Guys, would you pray that the door would open that I could keep declaring that mystery, even in this place? So, wonderful, just uh, this, this example of humility and neediness. And he says about um, how, how, should he, how should he declare? How should anyone declare? How should we speak? With clarity. There should be clarity in our communication about God. We shouldn't, and, and many of you guys know this, okay? I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, you know, giving you guys anything new. But I think we tend to get into a conversation about the Lord, and we want to sound like it, it's, it's, it's something that is high and, 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 and exalted. And it is, but we, Paul was very interested in making sure people understood what he was saying. He wanted people to understand the gospel, not speak the gospel over top of their understanding. So he wanted people to grasp it. And so you might, this is a good point of application as, you're, as you may be motivated by the Lord doing something in your life to, to rescue from your sin, to, to, uh, to uh, have you to grow in, in, in a relationship with him. And, and you're being motivated to share about this good work that he's doing in your life, then give it to, you might give it to someone differently than you may give it to another person. Someone at work, you might speak one way so that they understand with clarity and are compelled to it. And then you might speak to someone else, a child, differently. And God, or Paul, sorry, 
was very interested in making it clear. He knew that that was how he should speak with clarity. But he also knew there was another thing that he should do, and that's walk it out. And he wants the Colossians to walk it out as well. It's not just speaking, it's also walking, where he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, redeeming the time. You know, it's clearly, he's saying, when you're, when you're with someone, when you're talking with someone, when, you're, when you have a moment, an opportunity with someone, don't waste it. Don't just give it up. Imagine if you did, like, I, I, you know, I have four kids, and two of them are getting up there in age, and, and if I have a moment alone in the car with, with one of them, and we're driving, am I going to waste that moment by talking about something of no value, or I'm going to talk about something of value? What if, for that moment in time, I had to pay $100 for an hour with my kid? Would I use it differently then? You know, he wants, he want, he's trying to make them think about um, opportunity with people in terms of value and worth. That, that's actually the word there, you know, making the best use of the time. It's actually, actually a word that would mean like kind of put, your, put, all, put all the money in to buy that opportunity. That, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, it's a thing about, a, uh, let me, I wrote it down here, uh, 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 Buying up the opportunity, like you buy up investments at the right time. You, you go all in on them and you buy them all up because this is the time. It's the same kind of wording there. You know, many of you guys know that Psalm 90, teach me to number my days. There's actually a website out there. I don't know if any of you guys have been uh, thinking about these things, but there's a website out there, I, I checked it out, where you can put in kind of like... Wor- the age you might think you might get to. Most, maybe 70s, maybe 80s if you're really healthy or something like that. But you kind of, you put in your birthday now and you put in a day in the future that you think you're going to maybe make it to. And then they send you a, ca- a countdown calendar. <laughs> it's a little gruesome, you know. It's a, there's a little bit of, but, but I will say, what if that was before you? Every day when you went to work, or it was on the, the fridge, and you just color another box, there goes another day, another week. Would you, would you redeem your time differently? And that's what Paul's just trying to get out in front of him. It's, it's valuable stuff. Buy it up. Redeem it. And then he's, he's clearly talking about towards people that don't know him. So it's not... It's walking in wisdom, it's speech, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Not just what you say, but that idea of salt, is, it's, it's flavorful, it's, it's gracious, it's, it's compelling. It's not biting, it's not attacking, it doesn't have a tone to it. That's how he, that's how he wants them to, that's his kind of final instructions that he wants to get them. Walk it out, talk it out, do it towards us, do it towards each other, and do it towards outsiders. So let's go on to the final greetings here. Um, How do you guys read these final greetings? When you're reading scripture, you come to the end of a letter and you start seeing kind of 
specific names. You start seeing specific instructions. Do you skip it? Yeah, it's not really important. Uh, that's, my name's not in here, so. Uh, uh, or some people kind of over-spiritualize it, and they turn to it, and they, oh, this must be my instruction for the day. I'm supposed to do this. How do you guys read it? It's here. It was preserved for us. We trust that. So let's read through it, and then I'll make some uh, applications like that towards the end. But starting with Tychicus. Tychicus. I think Tychicus. I listen, I, for every one of these names, I listen to the Greek pronunciation of it, and I don't remember anything. I do think we, 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 we uh, accentuate different um, consonants and vowels uh, in the English. I do think it's tuhikas is the actual pronunciation or something like that. But anyway, this guy is a beloved brother. Uh, look, we'll read it. It says... Uh, Tuhikus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place. He starts with the people that are bringing the letter from Rome. Okay, these two men have traveled 1,300 miles or so, and they've, they've been sent by Paul for this purpose, to, to bring this letter, probably also the letter to the Ephesians, probably also the letter that's going to Philemon specifically, maybe even another letter that, to the Laodiceans that we don't have. Okay, so they've brought a bunch of letters with them. They've traveled and Paul wants them to not only bring, deliver the letter, but deliver a report about how they're doing as well. So some things are just better said in person. We don't have that report about how they were doing. It's just by word of mouth that they, uh, Paul wanted to send with them. But this man, uh, Tuikus, is a, is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a loyal servant, a trusted assistant. This isn't the first time we see him. He's, he kind of pops up in Acts 20. Um, where there's to talk about who's kind of joining the team, so to speak. And there we see that he and Trophimus are Asians um, from, from the, the area of Asia, and they've joined Paul in the ministry. Um, and so this man, you know, he, he, and he shows up a bunch of other times, Ephesians, Second uh, Timothy, Titus, he is a man that is used by Paul often. We might say he's like a battle brother. He's, he's in the battle with Paul, and he's at whatever he needs. You need me to stay and comfort you? I'll do that. You need me to go and, 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 and go through a treacherous uh, voyage to deliver a message? I'll do that. Whatever you need, I will do that. And what a gift that is. So he's sent, again, like, uh, like I said, to report and encourage the people on Colossae. And he's sent with Onesimus, who, well, you guys, if you read Philemon, which is, Philemon was probably living in Colossae, um, you'll, you'll know that Onesimus is a runaway slave. 
and somehow he makes it to Rome, and Paul interacts with him, and Onesimus receives the gospel as a runaway slave. And he's received such a radical transformation that, and Paul, uh, wanting him to make right with his running away, Paul sends him back to his owner, Philemon, and, uh, and he wants to restore him to them, but as a brother now, not a servant. And so it's an amazing account uh, that you guys can look into in Philemon. But look at how, you know, this man has, has run away, received the gospel, and now he's sent back, and he's sent back with the same weight as this other man who's been so faithful to Paul. Him and Tychicus are on the same level as, they, as, they, as he sends them back. And it's just an amazing uh, thing about what God does in a person's life. And so those two men are, again, the bearers of the report, and they've brought the letter all the way back, um, and as well a report. And we'll go on to these next three men are... Uh, we would say people of Jewish descent that are sending their greetings to the Colossian church. Okay, these three people are uh, Aristarchus. Okay, you see that? You see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then you see Jesus, who is called Justice. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, little parentheses, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he, welcomed, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. A little bit more about these men. They are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Excuse me. Okay, so these three men we know are Jewish because of what he says. They are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So in Rome, as the ministry grows kind of around Paul and, and, the, and the message of the gospel, there's Gentiles that are coming in to the fold as, and, as well as Jewish people. But it seems like the, there's a much less response from the Jewish people. And it seems like this is something that bothers Paul to a certain degree. Paul, being Jewish, would love for his brothers of, Jew, of, uh, of Judaism to understand who Jesus is, who their Messiah is. But there's a rejection of it. And that, that kingdom of God statement is, this is what Jesus talked about as he traveled around. This is what Paul has been talking about. And yet, among all the workers here, there's three of the circumcision that are helping in this kingdom of God. And so these men, you imagine, are very special to Paul. Aristarchus, again, he kind of he came on the team with, um, right around the same time, uh, Tychicus did, okay, in, in Acts 19. He was actually a man that, uh, when they were in Ephesus and that riot broke out, our, our, uh, Aristarchus was a man that got dragged into kind of custody of the mob because he was part of Paul's group. So this man, he, is, he has kind of endured some of the trials with Paul. Again, a, a, a fellow prisoner. That doesn't mean he was necessarily in prison with Paul, although he could have been, but just he's, 
He's under the rule of Christ with Paul. He's, he's a fellow under the rule of Christ with Paul. And, and Aristarchus wants to send his greeting with the letter. Also wanting to send the greeting is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now those that are, are, are kind of familiar with the Bible know that this is actually Mark that wrote the, the gospel. John Mark. Where we, this is where we learn that he's the cousin of Barnabas as well. And so this is uh, Mark, and now Mark is in Rome with Paul, and Mark also wants to send his greeting. But there's also this little instruction, like, hey, if he shows up, I want you to make sure you welcome him. You guys receive some instructions about him. I want you to welcome him. And we're like, why does he need to say that? Why wouldn't they welcome him? Well, again, some of you that might know this story, Mark fled one time. So in the first missionary journey, Mark was a young man, and, and, he, and Barnabas, hey, let's take, let's take my little guy, my little cousin, all right? And let's go, and we want him to go. And he got, they got to, um, let's see, I got it in Acts 13. You got, you got, there it is. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, Pan, Pamphylia, Pamphylia. And John, John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So long, this first missionary journey that Paul's taking, Mark's with him, John Mark's with him, and it gets too tough for him. And he bails. And he bails. And so he, he, he leaves, and he leaves them without his help, his work. And we see that later... Barnabas goes to bat on a second chance for him. Look, this is Acts 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul didn't want to let it go yet. Paul thought best not to take them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Paul's skeptical about Mark's faithfulness. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him. So Barnabas and, Mar and Paul now separate over, Mark, over this thing with Mark and going to bat for Mark. And we're like, now it's starting to understand why they need to say, hey, if he shows up, welcome him. Welcome him. Because at some point, Mark turns. And Mark becomes faithful throughout. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a high thought that Peter ministered to Mark in this kind of, this time of getting right again. And who better to know about second chances than Peter? And so Peter has been ministering to Mark, and Mark has grown his ability to be faithful to the ministry, faithful to the work. And now, we see Mark with Paul in Rome being a faithful brother there and being readily, being ready to be sent out to do the work that Paul has asked him to be. So what caused Mark to change? We said maybe Peter and the influence of Peter, maybe encouragement from Barnabas, his name means encouragement, and maybe the discipline from Paul. But either way, Paul 
uh, or Mark, sorry, this man in this letter has had quite a wild ride. And all the way to the, if you see in 2 Timothy, one of those last letters, it says, Paul's writing, it says, Luke alone is with me, with Paul. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in the ministry. This is who Mark has turned out to be. So, the last person we have there is Jesus, who is called Justice. That's all we know about him. <laughs> he didn't want to go by Jesus anymore. There was someone else with that name, and he didn't want to be put on the same par as the real Jesus. And so Jesus uh, is called Justice, and that's all we know about him. But here he is, written down for the millennia. Anyway, going on, we have Epaphras. Most of the, the biggest chunk is for Epaphras, who is one of you. He's one of the Colossians, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. So the, the greatest amount of writing is for Epaphras, who you learned about in chapter 1. And now we learn a little bit more about him. But basically, Epaphras has left the Colossian church with the report about how they're doing, as well as the need for help about these, this false teaching. And he's traveled, and he's gone to Rome, and now he's staying with Paul in Rome, and he sent the other two back with the message. But Epaphras wants to send his greeting as well, and Paul is just saying, man, this guy loves you guys. He loves you. He's agonizing in prayer for you guys, that you may be um, mature and fully assured, not only for you guys, but the whole Lycus Valley, Heropolis and Laodicea as well. And this is just a, the beauty about the effortful but effectual work of intercession. Now, we often think about, inter, we often give intercession. We, we talk about giving intercession. Man, if, if you're stuck at home, you can't do anything else, at least you can intercede. That's not how the Bible talks about it. Think, look at the words that are used to describe intercession here. Struggling. That he's worked hard for you. This idea of, of agonizing and wrestling. I don't know if any of you guys are wrestlers or have wrestled, but you wrestle for two minutes and it, you are burned out. You're breathing heavy. And that, that, that gives the impression of what Epaphras, his heart towards those people that he was care, caring for in Colossae was. That he would get before God and petition on their behalf to the point of despair, to the point of not only despair, but to the point of like agony, to, like he would just pour out for them. I've been challenged this week by this when I think about, uh, in my case, parenting. Do I, do I petition, do I intercede for my kids in a similar capacity? You know, there's, there's other Kids might be in here, and your you your parents don't know the Lord. You can agonize for them. Certainly, many of us have family members or friends or coworkers that don't know the Lord. Epaphras is this example of someone that was doing battle in the spiritual realm for the sake of souls. 
And what was his hope? That they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The, the, that idea is, is kind of given in Ephesians 4 and James 1, 6, this, this standing mature. The opposite is being tossed to and fro by every, by every wind of doctrine, every, every philosophy that comes across your, uh, your eyes or your ears. You're just, you're just, you follow that way, and then you follow that way, and everything, everything hits you, and you're impacted by everything. And he's like, no, no, that's not the way. I'm going to pray that they would be, stand maturity and not be tossed to and fro. Next we have Luke. So that's Epaphras. He is likely a Gentile. Luke, also a Gentile. He says, Luke, my beloved, Luke, sorry, the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. Not a lot here, but yes, this is Luke, the one who wrote the gospel. Yes, this is where we learn that he's also a physician. But there's not much except that he's a dear friend and a frequent traveler, traveling companion with Paul. And then we have Demas also, who is from Thessalonica, we learn. Not here, but we learn elsewhere that he's from Thessalonica. And he's also with Paul in Rome at this point. But think this. Later, Demas, he leaves the ministry and would desert Paul due to his love of the present world. It's in 2 Timothy 4.10. Do you have that, uh, John? 2 Timothy 4.10? No? Okay. 2 Timothy 4.10. I'm going to find it. Now I do. There it is. Here we go. Later, after this point, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so look at this contrast, right? Just in this little moment in time, Paul writing this letter at this moment in time in history, and as the people around him are like, yeah, send my greetings with this letter. I want, to, I want them to know that I'm praying for them as well. Send my greetings with them. And around him is John Mark, who has been restored to ministry and is now faithful after his failure. And Demas is there too, but later he would be one that leaves the ministry. And this idea of running our race with endurance, looking around this room, looking around your sphere of brothers and sisters in the, in the Lord that you're walking with, no guarantees that one of these might fall in love with the world and wander off. To redeem, go back, redeeming that time, that moment with someone to be opportune, to be talking about the things of the Lord, to be encouraging the things of the Lord. Okay, we're coming to the end here. Now we have just some kind of uh, general things here. Uh, in verse 15, this is now Paul saying, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha might have been in Heropolis, might have been in Laodicea. Anyway, she is hosting a church in her house, and he, Paul wants the greetings to go to her. And when this letter has been read among you, 
the Colossians, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from the Laodicea. And so they want to do a little letter swap because there's things that are important about following Christ, about not falling into the, the winds of doctrine, the Gnostic teaching, and he wants the Laodiceans to be encouraged by that. And whatever he wrote to the Laodiceans that we don't have for us, um, he wants them, the Colossians to be encouraged by that. And so he wants them to do a little swap which makes total sense. They're only a couple miles apart. And then we have this little verse, 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. That's very clear. We're like, what? where did that come from? Well, we learn that Archippus is probably Philemon and Aphia, uh, what's, her, what's her name? What's Aphia's, Aphia's name, uh, Philemon and Aphia are in Colossae, and it's most likely their son, Archippus, and it looks like maybe he has been the one left in Epaphras' stead to do the work of making sure that the church there is supported in the ministry. And so he's a younger guy, and so being a younger guy, he's, Paul says something that he said to another younger guy, Timothy. He said this, uh, Timothy in 4.5, as for you, always be sober-minded. This is to Timothy, endure suffering. Do the work of a, an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And many of you guys know Timothy was younger, and he also said, don't let him look down on your youth. Okay, and so Archippus is there and left in Epaphras' probably big hole of ministry, and Paul wants to send him a little bit of encouragement. See that you fulfill what you've been called to do. That's, uh, there's a lot of inference there, but that's, it seems pretty sound. And then we have I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So most likely someone else wrote the most of the letter, penned it for Paul as he dictated, and then Paul writes the kind of the ending making sure he wants it to be sincere. He wants them to know he was part of this letter. Kind of his, his, like, uh, his signet on it or his, his kind of thumbprints on it that they would know this is from our dear brother Paul. And here he is once again asking that they would remember him. Not, not too proud. Remember my chains. Such a neediness that is, speaks to uh, such a humility. And he get, leaves the most simplest, but the, one of the greatest blessings, grace. Grace be with you. So, a couple applications from the last, these little final greetings. Number one, it's just a little insight on how the Bible comes to us. Okay, how does the Bible come to us? Well, it was just penned by Paul, dictated by someone, by Paul. He writes the last little bit, and... Who is carrying Paul as he writes it? The Holy Spirit. And it's preserved over generations. And over thousands of years it's preserved. And then we read it and we see the power of it and we know it affirms that this is from God. But it comes in such a simple and normal way. That's how the Bible comes to us, but how do we read the Bible? I think oftentimes, for the, those of us younger in the faith, we, we think that every verse is for us specifically. I would say that's a pretty 
That's, a, that's not a helpful way to read the Bible. Read the Bible first for the audience that it was written to. Okay, these people in Colossae, what did Paul want them to learn about? What did Paul want them to be encouraged by? And then through that lens, we start to apply it to our own lives. And that's just here, that's, but that's everywhere in the Bible. Who was, who was this being written to originally and what was the intent of it then? And then I'll start to form how to apply. I don't just flip through the pages and go, okay, that's what I should do today. Or that's for me today. Because it might surprise you. <laughs> so that's just a little bit. You know, and these, are, these last little greetings are moments to re- remember that. That this was for a specific people. There's names right here. Another thing in these is look at the variety of roles and responsibilities in this little bit. There's people that go and there's people that stay. There's comforters, people that are just being there for comfort. There's people that are being sent out to bring a message. There's teachers. There's people that are hosting the church in their homes. There's people that are serving and being fellow soldiers of the gospel. There's people that are testifying to the work of the gospel. There's people that are doing encouraging work. There's just a variety. So if you're sitting here thinking the Lord doesn't need me for any part, man, you are wrong. There is something that you have through his spirit that is meant to strengthen and bless this church, this people around us. Are you opening yourself to using that? to being that blessing. This, I named this sermon a day in the kingdom because this is just, this was normal. People doing, people doing the work of sharing the gospel, people doing the comforting work of comforting those that are being persecuted for sharing the gospel, people talking about how the gospel is being shared, all of it, this was just normal work. And it needs every bit of the body. It needs every bit of the body. It's that important of a message. For those that are here and don't know the Lord, just a quick word to you. Look how strong the language is for reaching the outsider. Here we have Paul who's in prison for trying to reach the outsider with this message. And he says that, it is totally worthy of the chains. He's asking that they would pray for more open doors so that that message could get further to more outsiders. He's asking that he would be equipped to share that message with clarity. Think about, this is strong language that shows that God wants you, whoever is on the outside, to know him. He wants to be known by you. This is a good uh, uh, showing that God wants to be known by the outsider. And he's sending people to do that. And you're here today. Maybe he's trying to get that message to you. I don't want you to be an outsider anymore. The last thing that uh, that I'm applying towards my life is just a reminder about the strengthening work that happens when we widen our view about what's going on in God's kingdom in this world. 
We tend, we're, our culture helps us this way, man. Our culture, everything about where we live and, and the things around us that we're inundated with really helps us to think about, number one, you know, tunnel vision. But man, when we open our eyes to what God's doing around us in other people's lives, around our community, around the world, it starts to make, it starts to, I think, magnify the gospel, magnify God and the cross. And so I think that's really important activity that if we don't diligently do, it can get away from us, reminding ourselves of what's going on around us, what God's doing around us, not just in our lives, but in the lives of my brothers and sisters in this community or churches around this community or um, partners in ministry. You think about the, 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 mini, the missions work that we're kind of involved with. Well, we're going to Ocean City in the, in the summer. We're going to go to Bridge Fest, and these are opportunities for evangelism. There's street evangelism that is going on constantly. There's Choice One, Restoring Hearts, uh, Puma, out in Nepal, uh, there's a bunch of us going into prisons this year to, sh- to share with prisoners uh, in, in New York. There's um, Jeff and Linda, you guys know, in Kenya. There's a, we just started supporting some other partners in North Africa. Can't give you a lot of details, um, but if you want them, uh, come and see me. But as, as you either go and are part of that, or you support it, or you hear reports about it, it reminds you that God is outside of just your little life. He's doing things far beyond our imagination all around us. And it, gro- it, it draws our adoration. It draws our affection. And those are really good things. I know uh, uh, another good thing is reading about missionaries. You know, there's a, there's a, big, uh, a big one, Fox's Books of Martyrs, but there's plenty of others where you just read about it and you, you're... you're what happens is often when I read about missionaries, at first I'm impressed with them, but then quickly my mind starts to go to, to the God that they're serving. And again, worship becomes the end result of reading about missionaries, worship of God. And so there's a bunch of things here, but what do we take from it? Man, let's, let's do what they're doing. Let's testify to each other about what God is doing through the gospel in our lives and the lives around us. Let's testify to each other about that so that we can be encouraged. Because that's what the whole letter was about, encouragement. Because we need courage. Because this world discourages us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for uh, this letter that you have preserved for us. Lord, we do ask that it would be written on our hearts um, in a way that stays with us. Lord, we think about the contrast between John, Mark, and Demas. And we, we just, we're praying, Lord, that you constantly keep this, this undergirding, this framework of humility that, that, the, that the message of the gospel brings before us. And on top of everything that we have about who we are would be this this framework of humility. And that would keep us close to you, Lord. 
It would keep us close to one another in neediness. And it would keep us, uh, keep us for the day that we to meet you. That we, the, 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 all the way to the day that we meet you, we'd be kept by that, that, that humility that is wrought through the gospel. Lord, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.